1: everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Jason Shulman. We've got a great show for you today. My guest is Michael Barnett, who teaches at George Washington University. Here to talk about his new book, The Star and the Stripes, a history of the foreign policies of American Jews, published this year by Princeton University Press. Michael, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. So, Michael, maybe we can start, um, as the book does, with how the idea for the book came about.
0: Well... Uh... It it really was a a kind of odd set of circumstances. Uh, the origins of the book were uh, I was driving my my children to religious school, and uh, this is back when I was living in uh, in Minneapolis. And I drive up, and I there's usually this banner uh, above the above the entrance way that says something to the effect of "We support Israel and its struggle for peace and security." And I noticed that it had come down, and in its place had gone a banner that said, Save Darfur. This is back in 2006, 2007. And that struck me as curious, mainly for two reasons that had to do with the kind of work I was doing at the time. Uh, I was actually, when I wasn't driving carpool, I was trying to finish a book on the history of humanitarianism. And... And and so all of a sudden seeing this kind of abrupt shift or an exchange of banners from Israel to uh, trying to prevent genocide in, in Sudan was for me a little bit shocking uh, coming to, from my temple. And the other was I've been beginning to engage a lot in faith-based humanitarianism and spent a lot of time thinking about Christian humanitarianism and Islamic humanitarianism. I hadn't really thought much about Jewish humanitarianism, and so again that banner going up where American Jews were organizing to try and stop a genocide uh, struck me as interesting. Not so much from the standpoint of you know what are, why are Jews doing this, but from the standpoint of a broader phenomenon of of faith based humanitarianism. But it was that exchange of banners that really capture my attention and I began to wonder whether in fact there was any kind of greater symbolic meaning to the fact that down had come this banner in support of Israel and up had gone this banner in, in support of the cause of Darfur. And wondering what the significance was. Did it tell me something about the general mood in the American Jewish community? Did it tell me something about how it is that the American Jewish community valued humanitarianism in relationship to uh, support for Israel. So the book really begins on, on that note and tries to unravel this, if you will, this moment when I'm driving my kids to religious school. And I found myself going deeper and deeper and deeper into the history of American Jewish humanitarianism which also then gave me a very different perspective on how to think about American Jewish engagement with Israel.
1: Mm -hmm. So driving your kids um, and the story of the banners, you know, we might say that uh, the banner that came down was a tribal or a particularist banner, and the banner that went up was more of a cosmopolitan or universalist banner. Can you tell us about those two sort of poles and, um, you know, is it a zero-sum game?
0: Yeah, no, one of the things that, uh, in terms of my own work on humanitarianism, the the central question is, how how do a people come to define their obligations to those outside the community? And one of the striking things about sort of the globalization of humanitarianism is that we used to only care about our own. And one of the striking things of the last two centuries is that we now care about everybody and we can tell stories about the suffering of people that really are not part of the community. We care about distant strangers. And so, so I've always been curious about how it is that a political community comes to define its obligations to outsiders. And those are the kinds of questions that as you, as you, as you note, oftentimes get juxtaposed as, universalism on the one hand and particularism on the other. Uh, Do we see ourselves as part of a broader humanity or do we take care of our village first? And those are enduring philosophical questions, but they're also enduring questions within Jewish theology and history. And so I began to wonder to what extent these broad themes of cosmopolitan versus tribalism get played out not only philosophically but also politically and one of the features of the book that I wrestle with is how these two things relate to one another and trying to make sure that I don't treat them as a zero-sum situation so that if if particular if tribalism is up then cosmopolitanism is, is down because one of the things that we see among Jews, and American Jews, and I should say among citizens of the world, is is really very much how it is that we can navigate our sense of relations to our family and to our nation and to our brethren, but also relations uh, to the broader world. And those are enduring questions that all peoples have asked, and my question has been how have American Jews answered that question?
1: Did you talk to anyone else at the temple about the uh, banner switch? Um, My guess is that some people would have been very happy uh, with the Darfur sign. Other people would have been a little bit ambivalent that the Israel sign was taken down. And it seems like ambivalence is sort of a key feature in the book. Did you talk to anyone? I'm just curious.
0: Well, I did talk to the rabbi who was actually very involved in the Save Darfur campaign. Um, And, you know, I it's always, I have a hyperactive imagination. And so I began to sort of impose a lot of meaning on this exchange. And, you know, and I knew that my temple, like a lot of temples around the country have been struggling uh, to get a handle on their relationship to Israel. And, you know, he assured me at the time that this really wasn't a comment on Israel. This really was a comment on the kinds of commitments to social justice that this, that this synagogue has always had and continues to have. Uh, but, you know, now in reflection, I realize the extent to which that commitment to social justice was not was not simply uh, a, a recent artifact of the times, but really was very deeply rooted within the American Jewish historical experience. Uh, and that, in fact, uh, the, uh, if you will, the attachment to Israel is much more recent. So, I you know they would insist that it had no meaning whatsoever uh, but you know, as a writer, I get and as an academic, I get to you know a little bit of liberty in terms of interpreting uh the significance of these events,
1: mm-hmm. So the the subtitle of the book deals with the um the hi- history of the foreign policies of American Jews. I want to ask you about the American and the Jewish part. Um, you say that American Jews are different because America is different. So maybe you can tell us what you mean by that. And then also you know, on the Jewish side, Jews are not the only sort of transnational diasporic people. Um, do they feel foreign policy questions particularly acutely?
0: Well, on um, uh. With respect to sort of the nature of American Jews, I can't take credit for that uh, quip that American Jews are different because America treated its Jews as different, and the way it treated its Jews as different uh, is that it didn't see the Jews as different, which was very different than the experience that Jews had felt in Europe. And so, you know, we can, I think, overly romanticize the American experience, but in comparative terms. Uh, when Jews came to the United States, it really was something of their golden land. It provided opportunities that they'd never experienced before. And one of the impacts of this, and this is uh, part of the argument, and again, it's I don't really claim a lot of originality here. There's a lot of scholars who have, have made this argument before me, is that because of the American experience, American Jews strove uh, to basically integrate themselves uh, to the point that there could be a danger of assimilation. And part of that American experience was a commitment to basic fundamental American values like liberty and equality and the separation of church and state, which it turns out for American Jews, those are also good values uh, if you're a minority population and and want to keep some protection from the majority. Uh, and American Jews also said that these were quintessential Jewish values as well. So this became a moment where, uh, for American Jews, their own identity as Jews becomes read through an American lens. And this becomes part of the reason why uh, American Jews become deeply committed to basically liberal values and pluralism and the idea of autonomy and minority rights. These are things that American Jews have always uh, have always stood for, or at least have, they've wanted to present themselves as standing for that. Uh, but the other side is that they're still Jews. And as Jews, they have a deep sense of obligation to other Jews, especially when Jews in foreign lands are under threat. And this means that Jews are also a transnational political community in the sense that they are a diasporic people. Uh, they identify with each other, and the pain of other Jews is the pain that they feel. Uh, this became, th- this note, you know, Jews are always a religious people, but as a political people, that really begins in the 19th century when Jews begin to organize transnationally. Jews begin to organize in Berlin and London and Paris, oftentimes in self-defense organizations uh, with the goal of mobilizing oftentimes uh, their governments to protect Jews uh, in foreign lands. And so this, was, this, is, you know, this is the beginning of what we would see as a Jewish foreign policy. In the sense that you have a political community that's organizing, uh, that is trying to handle and manage their relations with the external world, and that's that's pretty much what a foreign policy is all about. And what you saw then were a lot of American, or not American, but a lot of Jewish institutions begin to develop, uh, principally for the construction of a foreign policy. And we used to see the language of Jewish foreign policy used quite openly in the in the Jewish community until 1948 when you have the state of Israel created and at that point we no longer talk about Jewish foreign policy we now talk about Israel its foreign policy and the presumption that Israel is also supposed to be uh the guardian of all Jewish interests.
1: That's interesting because in the 19th century it seems that Zionism was sort of a threat to Jewish internationalism, right? It was a
0: it was um, it was a threat in the in the sense that one of the things that and this is where the interesting uh, correspondence between cosmopolitanism and sort of the Jewish imperative for survival really uh, really uh, joined. In the sense that what you begin to have are a lot of Jews, uh, not just in the United States, but often, but also in Western Europe, uh, that begin to argue that their own survival at home is premised on these quintessential liberal values of autonomy and liberty and separation of church and state. And they also begin to argue that these should be the, uh, the kind of governing institutions of the world. And we should begin to create international law and international organizations and norms that also protect things like human rights and religious liberty. And so this begins a a kind of cosmopolitanism for, Ameri- for uh, not just American Jews, but for a lot of Jews in Europe. So it is a kind of cosmopolitanism, and it's a kind of vision of how Jews are supposed to exist in, in their national states, and also the kinds of commitments they should externalize uh, to a growing assembly of international institutions like the League of Nations and later the UN. Uh, The other big movement, though, that's uh, occurring, of course, and the one that gets most, most attention, this other story doesn't really get much play. But the other big movement, of course, is the emergence of Zionism, which is... Uh, very much on the outside looking in, in the United States and in Western Europe, which is precisely where the challenge was not so much separation, but really trying to demonstrate that, that the Jewish population could really, uh, assimilate into society and knew how to be a, a good patriot. And so the Zionist movement was seen as one that had given up on the promise of integration and, and basically said what we need to do is separate as much as possible and create our own national state. And in that sense, then, it was seen as the antithesis of this broader movement in favor of cosmopolitanism. And so you have this extraordinary set of conversations among American Jews about 100 years ago in which uh, at that time I guess what we would call the American Jewish establishment essentially branded Zionism as the greatest threat to American Jews uh, because it basically held a line that Jews were a separate people and deserved their own state, uh, which is exactly kind of what anti-Semites had been arguing as well. Um, and so American Jews were adamant that, you know, Zionism in, in the sense of creating its, for Jews their own national state was not compatible with their own cosmopolitanism. So that's the moment where you have a lot of American Jews really uh, invested in a kind of internationalism and treating Zionism as, as an enemy.
1: Mm -hmm. And you have a um, section where Louis Brandeis sort of comes to the fore and sort of turns things around for American Jews on Zionism. I want to ask you about 1948, um, the the Declaration of the State of Israel and the uh, UN Declaration on Human Rights. Um, What effect, if any, uh, did Israel's uh, creation have on American Jews?
0: You know, one of the things I kept playing around with was that, you know, in in my narrative, cosmopolitanism versus nationalism, and 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 internationalism versus Zionism, 1948 struck me as uh, as an interesting moment because uh, for 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 the Jewish people, because this is the moment where you have the simultaneous creation of the state of Israel, uh, which uh, obviously, American Jews and a lot of, you know, help to contribute to. But you also have the creation of the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which American Jews also said they contributed to. So here you have it, a single moment in 1948, you know, American Jews believing that they play a role in, in these two big causes and seeing both of them as very much consistent with, Uh, The American Jewish identity, and so this this becomes an interesting moment. But I also suggest this becomes a little bit of a turning point because this is the moment where it's it's not so much the American Jews through their through themselves into Zionism or to the state of Israel, uh, but it's it's a it's a moment when they begin to become much more supportive and begin at that point to lose a little bit of their energy in favor of international human rights. And so forty-eight's an interesting an interesting turning point, uh, because this is actually where for American Jews the way they understand themselves, especially as they begin to think about Israel, really begins to change.
1: Right. And that sort of leads us to the 1960s, uh, where we see the rise of tribalism uh, 1967 is another sort of turning point. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's going on in the um, you know, international sphere in terms of uh, universalism and particularism. But what's also going on with U.S. domestic politics?
0: Uh, you, well, and and as, an important element of my argument is that if you want to understand American Jews, you have to understand the American experience. Uh, and so that's not to depreciate the impact of Israel because it, Israel's had a very important impact on American Jews, but it's to say that, uh, it really is that American historical experience that has been the driving force for how American Jews see themselves in the world. Uh, 19, you know, part of what's going on, and I should say as a backdrop, is that in contrast to the mythology that American Jews were always deeply in love with Israel, in fact, from 1948 to 1967, they were supportive, but not not ambitiously so. They were kind of armchair supporters. Uh, and going back into the history and you look at the numbers, it's really rather surprising how, I want to say lukewarm, uh, but rather... You know so how unenthusiastic American Jews, even lack of curiosity about about the Jewish homeland, and by and so this is and in fact by 1960s, Commentary magazine is, is running a survey of American Jewish leaders, asking them what are the most important things to American Jews, and no one mentions Israel. Uh, it's it's just not on the radar screen, and then 60, 1967 occurs. And you know it—it it, it is a shock uh, in, in every sort of historical, existential, metaphysical way. It's just a shock to the system uh, to American Jews, and part of that shock, you know, ran through on a, a number of levels. You know, part of that shock was seeing is seeing them once again on the sidelines, just like they had during the Holocaust. Watch watching the possibility of a Jewish people being destroyed. And here they were more powerful than ever before, more confident, more secure. And yet, once again, they were helpless to do anything. Uh, So that was, there was a kind of reimagination of the trauma of the Holocaust. So you can't really look at 67 without also understanding how it is that American Jews understood the 1967 war in relationship to to the Holocaust. Uh, also, American Jews had expected that they would get a lot of assistance from the United States, and especially their liberal friends. And in fact, as we know, Israel was pretty much abandoned. Uh, and American Jews thought they would be able to pull on their natural alliances, and they were just nowhere to be found. And so that, that was a... Um, that was a that was a um uh, a blow to the gut. Uh, and then Israel won. and this what was amazing uh, was the extent to which American Jews not only identified with the victory uh, but began to carry themselves a little taller. I mean they had they began to see themselves as as more muscular and as capable of actually you know, not taking it anymore. And there was a tremendous amount of pride that grew up in and around Israel. And this is really the moment when American Jews begin to identify and define their identity in and through Israel. And this is really a turning point because beginning in 1967, uh, this is this is really the moment when American Jewry not only begins to organize, uh, strenuously in favor of Israel, but it's also the moment where how it is that one defines oneself as American Jew gets read through Israel. Uh, and so Israel becomes uh, larger than life. It be- gets to the point of almost idolatry uh, for american Jews
1: and in the last two decades, um, we've seen um you know what some people can consider uh, American Jewish distancing from Israel um what what have you what what do you notice i mean it looks like it seems like you are identifying a return to cosmopolitanism is it uh, a pendulum swinging back the other way or um is something is something returning to normal as you as you might say
0: yeah i it's you know look at from the from from uh the long arc of history from the nineteenth century to the present one of the striking things about American Jews is that they've been pretty much steadily cosmopolitan, and then 67 happens, and this is when I say American Jews go tribal, and they never quite abandoned their uh, their their alliance and allegiance for forms of humanitarianism and human rights and social justice, but they really sort of threw themselves into Israel, and so if you look at it, that 67, if you buy my argument, then 67 is a, a turning point and. It creates though underneath the surface a set of interesting sets of dilemmas for American Jews, which are about particularism and universalism, and the way it is that American Jews were able to sort of smooth this over at the time, which is unlike which is rather like what when you refer to Louis Brandeis, who made Zionism safe for American Jews, is that you could you know a lot of American Jews could say we are able to actually express our universalistic identities through Israel because Israel shares our values. Israel shares liberal values. It's a democracy. It's a prophetic country. Uh, Bernie Sanders' engagement with Israel begins going to a kibbutz, which for a lot of American Jews is the symbol of social justice for Israel and for Jewry. Uh, it's a great social experiment. And, and so... American Jews can actually be nationalistic in that sense, but also cosmopolitan. And, but it becomes more difficult over time. Uh, and that increasingly Israel's doing things that a lot of American Jews begin to wonder, um, wonder about, in particular whether it lines up with their values. And so part of what I've noticed beginning in the 1990s and continuing through today, and it's become really pronounced today, is uh, this this broader question that American Jews have, which is, you know, not only how do I support Israel, because by public opinion polls and surveys, American Jews are very supportive of Israel. But underlying there's this deep anxiety and ambivalence because they're not sure that the Israel that's evolving is consistent with their values. And so, uh, and this is not to argue that Israel doesn't have these values, but the question is, do American Jews wonder about Israel's commitment? And those values are, for instance, a separation of church and state. Israel is a Jewish state. It's a religious state. uh, And organized religion plays a very different role in Israel than it does in the United States. Uh, American Jews would not be comfortable uh, in in the United States if it was, for instance, a Christian country, uh, at least institutionally so. Uh, There's this question about Israel's commitment to basic human rights, uh, which has gotten a lot of attention lately. And then there's also this question about Israel's commitment to democracy, which, as we know, is potentially under threat. Uh, to the extent that at some point in the very near future, non-Jews will be a majority of the population from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And the question that I think American Jews are asking themselves over and over again is, I support Israel and I support the idea of a, of a Jewish state. But I've, But American Jews have always said they've wanted that Jewish state to stand for something more than survival. They've wanted to have a certain set of values that they can admire. They would like Israel to act in ways that they believe reflect well on Jews. And to, to bring it back now to the humanitarian to you know, back to when I'm driving up uh, to the synagogue and, and see the Saved Darfur banner. Uh, What we see is, as I think is, is a resurgence of a commitment to social justice among American Jews, which is, is often characterized as Tikkun Olam or repairing the world. And by any by any measure, that has just increased in popularity in the American Jewish community. And in my conversations with those who are involved in these Tikkun Olam associations. In social justice movements, you hear some very interesting things like that they want, they join social justice movements, not only because they believe it's in the best tradition of Judaism, but also because they're ambivalent about Israel. Uh, and I've talked to some who have said, you know, very honestly, that they want to be able to portray a Jewish community that is more than an occupier. Uh, They want to recover a Judaism and and a Jewish people that really is engaged in that prophetic tradition, which they no longer see Israel as upholding. And so when American Jews are asking themselves, how do we want to express ourselves in the world as Jews, they're left wondering whether Israel... Is a suitable platform. They're looking elsewhere, and they're finding, in many ways, that old commitment to social justice really works well for them. And so, you know, when, going back to that moment of exchange, uh, I think it'd be, I think it'd be uh, overreading the moment to say that Israel's down and social justice is up. But I do think it's it's a an example of the extent to which American Jews really are searching for a different way to engage in the world. And they're finding Israel unsuitable.
1: Well, Michael, we've taken up a lot of your time, so uh, maybe we can finish with this. Uh, what are you working on next?
0: Uh, well, <laughs> well uh, I've got I've got several uh, different things that are sitting here on my desk. Uh, I'm continuing, though, uh, to, to think about this question about, uh, about international human rights and, and international social justice and the different kinds of communities, not just Jews, but uh, all different kinds of faith communities, how, how they've come around to the broad idea of, ideas of social justice. And whether or not they're able to find some kind of common ground in in and through the language of social justice, uh, there's always been a hope that, and there's always been a promise that you know that ultimately we're all you know we're not separate peoples we're all a common humanity, and that maybe if we just work through social justice we'll realize that common humanity and realize that we're not really different after all, uh, and I'm 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 not sure that that promise can be delivered and I'm, I'm interested in those kinds of questions
1: great thanks michael i want to thank you for being on the show today the book is the star and the stripes a history of the foreign policies of american jews published in 2016 by princeton university press the author is michael barnett thank you for listening and we'll see you next time